Yo, yo, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hello there. Quick one before we get into this podcast. Uh, We had some issues with Patricia's mic during this broadcast, and because we do this broadcast live, it was quite hard to fix in the moment. So uh, apologies in advance for some of the audio issues in this conversation. There's some clicking and humming. I've done my absolute best to get rid of it, um, but it's not ideal. So I just wanted to give you a forewarning about that before we get into this conversation. Around about kind of like four minutes in or so, there'll be a horrible jerky uh, bit of silence and then the conversation will carry on. That's because we paused for a little bit to try and fix the mic. It does get fixed for a little while, but uh, but yeah, the issues return. So I would still uh, encourage you to kind of bear with this conversation because the content is absolutely fantastic. It's just that the audio quality isn't ideal. Um, So see how you get on. Cheers. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims. Uh, And today we're going to have a very uh, well-needed discussion, a discussion that we kind of touch on here and there, but haven't really spent a whole bunch of time, apart from when we had Deborah Harrison from Microsoft on a long while back, talking about privacy and ethics. And so today we're joined by Patricia Thane, who's the CEO of Private AI. And we're going to be talking all about the need for privacy in the AI space and exactly what Private AI do to help. Uh, but before that, I'd like to give a shout out to Deepgram, our presenting sponsor of the UX world. Um, and if you don't know by now, Deepgram is one of the industry leading speech recognition providers, automatic speech recognition or ASR as it's known, as I'm sure you know by now. Uh, and if you're looking to you know, use, uh, it, well, if you're going to build a voice assistant or a voice bot or any kind of conversational AI that uses speech as its primary modality, then you will definitely need speech recognition. Not only will you need speech recognition, but you'll need speech recognition that you can customize and tailor for your specific use cases or your specific environments. If you're doing something on a device that's going to be used in the general public in a train station or something like that, you're going to be able to need to customize those ASR models to be able to cope with that environment. If you're building something for the call center and you've got a very specific use case, like maybe you're an insurance company or banking or whatever, then training that ASR on the way that your customers speak, either the accents that they have or the uh, specific dialect or jargon or you know product types that you have, is going to be absolutely crucial. And Deepgram allow you to do all of that, plus it's fairly cost-effective, plus it's very, very quick, and response times are imperative if you're going to actually hold what seems or feels like a natural conversation. And so if all of this sounds interesting to you, please do go to deepgram.com forward slash VUX world to find out a little bit more. That is deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. All right. Now then, without further ado, please welcome to VUX world, Patricia Finn. Patricia, welcome. Thank you so much, King. Pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you all the way from Toronto. What's the, what's the, we were just talking about weather before we started. Is, is is I know Toronto can get fairly nippy, or is it is it all right right now? Uh, it's not too bad. Last week was a lot nicer, but uh, we we do we do what we can with what we have. Yeah, I know the exact feeling. I've been uh, living in the north of England for the last nine months, and uh, yeah, it is definitely colder than I've been over the last <laughs> the last ten years before it. Um, but anyway, uh, definitely a hot topic um, in the the world and space of AI is this notion of privacy and the importance of privacy. And so it'd be lovely to to get into what private AI private AI does. But first, maybe a little bit about yourself and about your background and what led you to to private AI. Sure. Uh, so my background is doing research in privacy preserving natural language and spoken language processing. And before I jumped into that, um, I had been doing research on acoustic forensics. 
And while acoustic forensics, which allows you to determine who's speaking or reporting, what kind of educational background they have, uh, while it can be very helpful for automatic speech recognition systems uh, and other, uh, other AI, the problem is that there's a very real ethical concern with what, el what else you could do with the technology, what kind of uh, re-identification you can do with the individuals and how you can profile them. Uh, and there are two major, major concerns there, the privacy of the individuals, but also access to data uh, that privacy regulations prevent companies from getting uh, because of the risk of uh, personally identifiable information being exposed. So it's both a privacy is both beneficial to the end consumer as well as the companies who need access to more data uh, who would otherwise not be able to get it had they not integrated privacy within uh, their products. Uh, cool. Here we go then. So, so I was just explaining there when you were trying to uh, join back that uh, we had a conversation with Deborah Harrison uh, a while back, who was actually the first writer for Microsoft Cortana. And the conversation wasn't intended to be about ethics and privacy and stuff like that, but it ended up in that direction fairly early on. And we kind of kept there for a while. Um, and so we kind of touched on, and I'd advise people to go back and have a listen to that, but we haven't, we haven't had this discussion for, for, for a while, but we kind of touched on some of the ethical considerations around capturing speech and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and, but more really from the from the point of view of uh, how should you approach ethics from a sort of design perspective or a user research perspective and stuff like that. We didn't really get into, you know, production AI at scale. That's, gathering data from a whole bunch of different places, a whole bunch of different people, processing that data and using it for whatever it's being used for, storing it, keeping it, all of this kind of stuff is, uh, you know, I don't even think, correct me if I'm wrong, is it your kind of observations that companies that, for example, launch a, a chatbot or a voice assistant or any kind of AI system that gathers data, is it your observation so far that this stuff isn't even considered? Because I've I've seen companies that haven't even considered the fact that they're gathering real data from real customers, potentially sensitive mm -hmm. information, and processing it in some degree. Um, is, ha, have you come across companies where it's not even on the radar? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think that a lot of the customers that we have really care about privacy. So we have a biased sample of uh, people who are looking at it and who actually really care. Uh, it's becoming more standard for companies to care because one, the research is starting to show what a problem it is when machine learning models actually memorize the information. There are also cases like Scatterlab, for example, which is this Korean company that had memorized information from the billions of conversations they had between users. And then in production, their chatbot was spewing out entire names, entire addresses, and other sensitive information. Wow. So it's becoming much more mainstream to think about how it affects uh, the users whose data is being uh, used train the machine learning models. But in addition to that, uh, with the GDPR, I think European companies might be very sensitive to what is happening with user data and how they're using it to train their models. Um, so uh, I'd say a few years ago, it was more rare to find people who cared. Now it's starting to really uh, ramp up into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. Interesting, because it has had a lot of you know highlights and airtime as far as 
the kind of not mainstream well, maybe it's the mainstream media actually if you think about some of the Alexa stories from from 2018 2019 and stuff like that where you know I'm pretty sure that that it was used in a court case or something like that where it had been recording stuff that it shouldn't have been recording arguments in households and potentially domestic abuse and all kinds of stuff that it was allegedly recording and then there were stories where you know people didn't realize but I think the kind of like the the voice AI community understood from the beginning that voice recordings into Siri will go somewhere for them to be labeled and then retrained and stuff but the broader public didn't and all of a sudden news stories came out that Amazon and Apple are sending recordings audio recordings to wherever they were sending them to and people are listening to them and it was just this big kind of outroar um what's it been like like from if you think about that perspective was that like the first instance of where people began to realize that hey our data is actually being used by these corporations and listening to everything that we're saying or does it go back a bit further than that people's individuals privacy concerns around ai systems i think there are a lot of trigger points um and it's not only with regards to AI systems, just privacy in general, I think started becoming much more of a topic in mainstream media thanks to the GDPR. And these cases where you have uh, ASR systems that are recording what you're saying, or these cases where you've got uh, giant data leaks because of cybersecurity attacks in companies that weren't properly protecting PII, I think those have all helped in bringing awareness to what it means to have companies not actually take your privacy seriously. Mm, mm, interesting. So, so what does private AI do then to, to kind of help in this regard? Mm-hmm. So one major problem when it comes to uh, getting more data and also uh, having your have meetings, getting services that uh AI can be used to help customers with is the fact that these models can memorize personal and fiable information, much like that Scatterlab chatbot did. So help with it, for example, removing that personal and fiable information and replacing it with fake PII. And that means that the models can't memorize something that just isn't there. Uh, we also help with identifying personal and fiable information uh, within large uh, data lakes, for example, across multiple different kinds of documents. And we are the best uh, PII detection tool on the market. Uh, so this is a problem where you can't get to 95% accuracy or 90% accuracy. You really need to be excellent at uh, detecting and redacting personal and fiable information because people will get in trouble if ever there's a data leak or if ever any model memorizes their, their personal and fiable information. Uh, so we've put a lot of effort into the high quality output of the model. Mm, interesting. I didn't realize it was also able to search for it as well as recognize it coming in. Um, <laughs> Is that is that the predominant use case? Would you say or not? Like, are most organisations using it for in, in data leak situations to figure that out, or is it is it predominantly used kind of on the other side for you know chatbots and voice systems and stuff like that to try and cleanse data that that's fed into models? It varies. So the chatbots are one use case. Uh, the automatic speech recognition system another use case, especially if you want, for example, ASR system users to have transcripts that are compliant with PCI or GDPR. Uh, and we have customers who also need to 
that data from one location of the organization to another, but their DPO or CEO is telling them you can't because there is identifiable information within there. And then we have customers who also uh, use us as a, an integration into their data loss prevention uh, process so that they can make sure that no data is being uh, transferred out to the main database, for example, of uh, their organization. That shouldn't be. And then there we have customers who also uh, get access to more data from their customers because they can redact it and uh, send it over to their uh, main server in a much more, uh, in a safer way. Mm, interesting. I'm still getting, I'm starting to get a little bit of feedback coming through again now, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what happened now? Yeah, it's still, it's still there. I don't know if it's, uh, I'm not quite sure what it is because it was fine for a moment. We'll see how we, we'll see how we get on. It might be that I just need to do some, uh, some, some different editing on the audio later. Um, cool. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So what has kind of, um, been done, I suppose, you mentioned GDPR. Uh, is there any other things that are kind of fueling uh, the the focus on privacy or the or the need for uh, to be more privacy conscious? I mean, I think we've, we touched on kind of customer outcry and stuff like that. Like, what what do you think are the main sort of trends that have been, you know, leading companies to focus more heavily on privacy? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one major uh, trend is the continued cybersecurity risk that keeps growing while the number of cybersecurity professionals cannot uh, keep up with the demand. And privacy and cybersecurity really go hand in hand together. And one thing that something that the GDPR has really with has been to get uh, organizations to have much more of a grasp around what kind of data they're collecting, where is there the biggest risk, or should they be focusing their security the most, uh, and what kind, which individuals would be at risk had, were there to be a risk, uh, a breach, sorry. Uh, so cybersecurity breaches one major trend, uh, the news about AI, another trend, uh, and into the data protection regulations for sure. Mm. Cause some people are really kind of, you know, the, the concern over privacy is so great for some people that they won't use voice assistance and things like that. And they're mm-hmm. just so kind of like, yeah. So against it, which is, which is interesting because I always think that if you talk to your phone or your voice assistant or whatever it might be, that's just another data point. But, your phone is already capturing so much information, your location, your search history, your contacts, the messages that you're sending, you know, all this stuff is being captured all the time. I mean, I even log in my diet and it knows how it knows how my exercise habits, my heart rate, you know, it probably knows my blood pressure. It knows absolutely all sorts, but Mm. all of a sudden there's, there's when now we're talking to machines and there's a new concern. And so is it, is it, do you think, I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on as you've kind of explained there with cybersecurity regulation, all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the, the end user concern over where, what, what are the companies doing with my data and where's it going? Do you think that's a, a kind of like a, a transient point in time, which is that because there's a new modality that's hitting, hitting people's homes, like voice assistants and phones and stuff that, that it's more, it's, it's a new modality that people are not quite used to. And so there's a concern over it. Or do you think like 
we do now with our phone where it knows where we are all the time. We don't really think about that as a privacy concern. We just get on with it. Do you think this is something that from a customer or end user point of view, um, it's kind of like a, a novel thing because it's new and we'll get over it? Or do you think that actually what's going on now with people's concerns about privacy is something that's going to sustain its momentum until broadly speaking, every company is is doing the right things in that regard? That's a really great question. Um, I think that the momentum is going to be sustained uh, for a few reasons. Um, and just to address the difference between you actually typing in the information on your phone versus your phone recording without you knowing uh, what it's saying, I think the difference is between um, you are consciously putting in the data versus you are not consciously putting in the data. And that's the scariest part. And there's also a lot of information that you can tell from uh, voice in addition to what you're saying. You can tell uh, pathologies from voice. You can tell uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds. There's a lot of data that voice carries in addition to the ability to re-identify you since it is used as an authentication method. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of space for misuse. A few reasons why I think this is going to be sustained. Um, Regulations are, um, countries around the world are copying the GDPR uh, or or creating similar regulations. And that's just increasing the momentum uh, and requirement of companies to comply with data protection regulations. Uh, I think there's starting to be an understanding, unfortunately, that when you think, you know, you, you, you don't have anything to hide, uh, you shouldn't care about privacy. There's starting to be an understanding that you never know what it is that you might need to hide, mm-hmm. including the conversation around rule versus Wade in the United States. So that whole mentality of this can't happen to us uh, is starting to shift to maybe this could happen to us and it could be very scary and maybe we should be doing something about it. And you can see in various uh, points in time, uh, upticks in downloads of Signal and Telegram, for example, during the Black Lives Matter protests, during the Hong Kong protests. So it's those trigger events really shift the mentality of people and how they think about what kind of data they're transferring uh, on a day-to-day. And maybe there's certain information that they feel comfortable sharing over WhatsApp or over Facebook, but maybe there's some information that they only feel comfortable sending over Signal and Telegram. And already that shift in mentality is helpful. And in addition to that, um, there's the newer generation is also being educated uh, in some cases about privacy, about what technology is collecting directly within their schools. And having that education early on also makes a difference in what the next generations are going to be looking for in their uh, providers. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I suppose when you mention Signal and Telegram, it makes me think of Discord, which then makes me think of decentralized technology, which then makes me think of blockchain and that. And so it's, I suppose when you think about it, the whole concept of the um, the momentum behind blockchain, not just the currency built on top of it, but the, the general blockchain technology, it's predominantly actually Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know how much you know about that kind of stuff. I'm I'm not overly kind of like educated, but I'm I'm familiar enough that I could probably look into that and think, well, is this whole thing driven by a complete concern about privacy? What do you reckon? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
I, for a good chunk of people, I think it is. Uh, I think uh, part of it is control and consent. And a lot of privacy is based on consent. So I, I would say you're probably right in that, uh, yeah, a, mm. a lot of it is probably driven by that concern for privacy. Mm, interesting. So you mentioned that you mentioned that some things you do kind of like willingly or, or giving consent, as in talking to a voice assistant, it's you giving that data in order to get some value back. And then maybe in exchange for that value in return, there's perhaps an understanding that the company may use that data. Maybe there wasn't an understanding, but maybe it's growing maybe slightly that the company might use that data to, to improve the models or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but it still kind of seems to be quite a challenge for the company itself. Thinking about GDPR, thinking about all this kind of regulation, all of a sudden we're capturing a load of data, personal data, voice data, which as you mentioned, you can tell a whole bunch else from, aside from what was said. Um, where do you start from your perspective, private AI, trying to tackle this challenge? Where do you actually begin in trying to tackle that challenge of identifying PII data? Mm-hmm. So part of the reason why we chose to create the product we did and what our product roadmap uh, takes into account is the generalizability of the technology, the ease of integration, the modularity, how can developers use this? And it's really about making it possible for developers to easily plug in privacy into the pipeline uh, because otherwise you end up with companies spending way too much uh, money on privacy um, to have to develop bespoke in-house solutions, and that's not sustainable. So it's really about creating the toolkit that will enable a more private world. Mm. So is is that your predominant target market then, is developers working on AI systems that will integrate this into their pipeline, so to speak? Uh, developers in general, but yes, AI system, developers working on AI systems is uh, a pretty big part of our target market. Yeah. And let's say, for example, if I was creating something like, um, let's use a speech recognition kind of application, whether it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm assuming, well, let's use, let's use the conversational use case. So let's say that, that you, you know, Amazon, for example, wanted to use private AI in order to cleanse all data that comes through Alexa for PII data. Whereabouts would that sit within the kind of pipeline. So you've got the microphone on the device or even in the Mm -hmm. call center, you could say microphone on your phone, audio coming into the microphone, hitting a speech recognition provider in the cloud, translating that audio into text. What Where does private AI fit in Mm -hmm. that whole kind of situation? So once the audio is is, uh, transformed into text, then what we could do is redact and replace the PII within the transcript and then bleep it out within the audio itself. Uh, And we could also modify the voice, uh, though that really depends what you want to do with the recording itself. Um, So one of the key points about the GDPR is data minimization. And you need to get rid of as much PII as possible. Uh, Mm. Only keep the ones that you need for your tasks as early as you possibly can in the process. So the moment you remove the PII from these recordings, you can delete it, complying with the GDPR in that way. Uh, 
we started out with the hypothesis that people would want to integrate this as early as possible uh, in the pipeline. And there are certain use cases for that. So we built um, IO an iOS integration and Android integration, as well as browser extension integrations. Um, but the market's just not ready for that at the moment. Mm, interesting. So would, would a fair use case be, for example, uh, I have a call center that is taking calls day in, day out. We need to record those calls. You know, the typical, this call is usually recorded for quality and monitoring purposes. So so we need to record the calls for quality and monitoring purposes. Um, but inevitably, there is some personal, personally identifiable information in there. And I might have a batch of them that were being building up, you know, over the last months or years. Um, is that a good use case, applying private AI into stored audio files of call recordings to beep out PII data? That's a great use case. And the interesting part about uh, unstructured data, like transcripts and call recordings, is that there's a lot of really useful information around the PII. So originally, when you're dealing with structured data, the majority of that data tends to be uh, identifiable, or you can, you can use to identify an individual. And you have to do a lot of statistical analysis in order to determine what the re-identification risk would be if you remove certain pieces or if you change the granularity of that data. Um, and by granularity, I mean something like changing 25 years old to 20 to 30 years old. Uh, and with unstructured data, you have a bunch of a goldmine of information around the PII. So in the example of those call recordings, you could still tell what kind of topics were mentioned, what uh, sentiment is associated with specific topics or products or individuals in the call, how well did a customer service agent perform, do they need training? Uh, there's just a wealth of information. The PII is just toxic. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So, interesting. So, so would I, in that example there of those call recordings, <laughs> would I need to first transcribe all of those calls into text to apply private AI. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you would. And then you would apply private AI, scrub the PII data, and then what, you then you then take some metadata from the text to then relay that back to the audio to, so that you know the timestamps of where to beep out in the audio, something like that? Correct, yes. So we do force alignment to determine where in the audio those terms are mentioned, and then we bleep it out. Interesting, interesting. Mm -hmm. And so the second part you were talking about there in terms of there being valued information around the PII data, are we saying then that without, if I'm understanding this right, that without taking away the PII data, you're not therefore meeting regulatory requirements and therefore you can't really keep hold of that data, which means, which means that you then miss out on the insight around it. Is that right? Correct, yeah. So... If you are keeping the data without a specific use case for that percent unfiable information, then you are going against GDPR requirements. You need to have a reason for which you are keeping that PII. And if you don't, you need to remove it as soon as you can in the process. Right. Interesting. Yeah. This is, I mean, this seems like an ideal fit for basically every chatbot and voice assistant deployment as well as every call center because i mean i'm assuming is is there i mean this is the first time i've kind of come across this specific capability 
has anything done been done in this regard before? Like, what is it about private? Uh, first of all, yeah, let's answer that question first before I go to the next one. Has anything been done in this space before that does mm-hmm. something similar or not? Yeah, what we come across the most is AWS Comprehend. Uh, right. And that's generally who are compared against during POCs. And the problem there is one, it's not very accurate. Uh, and right. this is a task where you need to be extremely accurate. Uh, another problem is that you can't, in a lot of cases, send the data to a third party. So we process directly in our customers' environments, which saves them a lot of headache and also means that they don't uh, break the contracts that they have with their own customers about not sending their data with, to a third party. Mm. Uh, and it can be pretty expensive as well. So some of our customers, for example, do billions of API calls a month and were they to use something like AWS Comprehend, that could cost them millions of dollars a year. Wow. Interesting. Is is there much effort involved in like using it? If I'm a developer, then I obviously know what I'm doing with APIs and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, so I, so I don't. But let's assume that I am. Uh, what's actually involved in using it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we send a container to our customers for them to deploy directly in their environment. And deployment can take um, anything from 15 minutes to a few hours, uh, maybe a few days if it's something very expensive, uh, but they can run even directly on their laptop in 15 minutes. And then all they have to do is make post requests uh, to the REST API that's running. So they send in the text that they want to uh, ID identify or recognize PII in, and there are a bunch of options as to what kind of PII they want to remove, what regulations they want to comply with, um, and a bunch of other things as well. So it's very flexible for what they need. Interesting. And when did you start? Uh, 2019. 2019. That's, that's interesting, that, yeah. Um so it sounds fairly straightforward. Is, is there sort of, where do you see the, the biggest need for this? We've spoken a, a few use cases. You've spoke about, you know, data leaks. We've spoken about in call centers. We've spoken about, you know, chatbots and stuff like that. Anywhere where there's spoken language, I suppose this is needed. Anytime there's, a, there's some degree of either spoken or written language communication mm-hmm. between businesses and customers, emails could probably be one of them as well. Where do you think, like, you know, in an ideal world, I know you're probably going to say everywhere because ideally it would be used everywhere, but where is, where is the, like, the biggest need, do you think, at the minute? Um, it, a lot in call centers, but it, it is truly everywhere. So we deployed it within banking, within gaming, within uh, financial institutions, including insurance and banking, and uh, yeah, within insurance, banking, and uh, AI, uh, cybersecurity it's there's just so many use cases for this and it's that nature needing that highly accurate uh ability to recognize pii versus what was previously done which is usually based on regular expressions uh which just doesn't work very well at all uh and leaves companies at quite a bit of risk uh so yeah sorry but yes everywhere <laughs> So, so what does that involve then? The whole doing it via regular expressions. Why, why? Maybe it's for the less technical, you could explain mm-hmm. what regex is, and then for like why is that such an issue to do this? Because maybe people listening in who do currently do something similar, and like what, what, why is that such a problem? Yeah, absolutely. So, regular expressions is about um, writing out every pattern that you expect to find some PII uh, or every pattern that you're expecting. 
so it could be something like recognize nine digits that are one after the other or 16 digits uh, or recognize 16 digits with hyphens in between uh, or here's a list of names to recognize or the context in which, uh, hey, my name is uh, blank and then you're trying to recognize that that's a name. Um, so it's trying to create an exhaustive list in which you can identify this person and file information. Um, and that's just not tractable. Uh, it ends up being gigantic and it doesn't generalize well. So this is something that you really need AI to do uh, properly. Interesting. And so how does AI do it properly then? What's the, what's the alternative to that? I know you're going to say private AI, but like, what, what is it that, like about it? Maybe, maybe this is the secret sauce. Who knows? Tell me if it's uh, trending into uh, secret sauce territory. But like, what, what is different about what you do versus the regex stuff? Mm -hmm. So because we've gathered a lot of data that we've really, really meticulously annotated, including from our customers over the last uh, few years, um, we've been able to create a data set that's really robust to a variety of edge cases. It also makes a really big difference um, that we've modified our models to be extremely quick. So it doesn't cost our customers an arm and a leg to um, have to run this in their environment. So those two make a really big difference um, in addition to the actual models that we've modified in order to for them to be better at this particular task. And what AI models are doing is recognizing the context. So uh, if it says, hi, my name is, and then uh, it's a name that it's never seen before, it can still recognize uh, that uh, particular, uh, that name as a name. And the difference between um, what a regular expression can do versus what an AI model can do, an AI model has been pre-trained on a bunch of other data. So they can associate, okay, so this is, this is a name in this context. We've seen other names in these other contexts. So all of these other contexts are also names. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. It must take, I mean, you mentioned there you've got a lot of data and you also mm -hmm. mentioned earlier on that this can run within a company's kind of like um, architecture, so to speak. It doesn't have to be mm -hmm. in a private cloud or in a third public cloud or whatever. So how do you approach the kind of development and training of private AI? Or is it such that actually it's it's nigh on a solved problem because you've already got a lot of data already and so the product is already good enough? Mm, that's, uh, it's definitely uh, takes quite a bit of iteration and will continue to take iteration. Language changes time. One example is um, when COVID uh, happened, the models wouldn't recognize COVID-19 as a disease. So it, we needed to train it uh, to recognize the new term in the linguistic dictionary. Um, so it is something that we keep getting better and better at, um, but never something that's going to be a solved problem. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that is required from a maintenance perspective from a developer using this? No. Not at all. No. Uh, just, that's the main point of us too. We take away that pain. So you just do it once, set it up, and then it's done. Um, we do send updates, so they switch all it. Right. Yeah, okay. But that's it. 
Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's uh, every now and then you, you kind of come across something that you can see a real clear market fit for. Like we had we had QBox on fairly recently and uh, they have it's essentially a natural language understanding management tool that can help you figure out whether you've got conflicts in your intents or why one intent might be underperforming versus another, a whole bunch of other stuff. And it was like, that's a real problem that I know everybody has. And if they don't have that problem yet, they certainly will when they start to kind of scale stuff. And so this is kind of another one of those things where you think like, if I think about the number of chatbots, even I know we're talking it's bits beyond chatbots, but even the number of chatbots that exist now versus the number that will exist in six months' time versus the number of voice assistants that exist now that will in, in 12 months' time. And then all of the call center data that you can imagine, it's just like, yeah, it seems to be a, a well-needed solution, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think we've got product market fit. Yeah, yeah. Wow. What are some of the, um, we spoke a bit at the beginning about some of this kind of like, you know, challenges and, you know, trends around the importance of privacy in, in the kind of mind of the customer and the business and stuff like that. What are some of the kind of blind spots that, that businesses might have around this stuff? I think we mentioned earlier on around, you know, the, the kind of like popularity or concern for privacy is rising and stuff like that. But, and, and we've also spoke about where's like the ideal application of it. What about the areas where it maybe could be applied, but is flying under the radar? Maybe some of those blind spots that businesses have where actually they should be spending more attention. Mm. <clears throat> um, I think sharing data internally is one of them. Uh, one of the requirements for the GDPR is for you to be able to keep track of uh, where PI are located within your environment. And that means if there's an access to be, de- uh, a request to be deleted or an access to information request, you need to be able to retrieve that information and in the request to be deleted, you need to be able to delete it. And uh, one really cool thing about the GDPR is it's basically made companies more aware of this and then restructured their uh, data architecture so they can keep track of this PI better. Uh, but that's still very complicated when it comes to unstructured data. So the moment that you're moving unstructured data from one part of your organization to the next, you really should be considering whether you actually need to send the PII within that data. Mm, interesting. I've, come in, I've been in that situation a number of times where um, one department actually can't share data with another department. Because the the privacy agreement that the, that the company has with the customer basically says that yeah this this data will stay where it is uh, and it won't be moved and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Which uh, yeah yeah in some cases uh, in as of the PII in which case if you remove it you might be able to share it but you need to check with your DPO or CISO about that. Yeah 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 interesting. Um, where where do you think the kind of the the future is heading as far as, I mean, for you, I imagine it's it's very much about scale, which is that, you know, you found product market fit, you're really kind of trying to grow and get this implemented wherever, wherever it can be. But where do you think this, where can you imagine it heading? We spoke earlier on about, you know, the, the concern for privacy is definitely there, not going to go anywhere. Regulation is kind of spreading. What does the future look like as far as, you know, this technology for managing privacy? So I'll start by pointing out that 80% of the world's data is unstructured. 
and that's growing 42% year over year. And this contains such a huge amount of value for organizations that they can't unlock because of the consistent PII. So it's really about enabling the safe sharing and use of data anywhere and for any type of data. Mm, yeah, I've gone across that stat a few times actually. 80% of data being unstructured. Um, and most, I mean, it's only going to get worse that I think actually, because, you know, most businesses are growing, the population is growing. Um, whenever a business opens up a new channel, they never usually close other ones. I mean, Decathlon, we had Decathlon on the podcast a few weeks back. They kind of did, <laughs> but they closed the call center and went purely to messaging. But most companies, they have a new, they introduce a new channel and then that's a new channel and it doesn't go anywhere and it stays where it is. And so if I think about, you know, even the most mature organizations from an AI point of view are nowhere near this stage. But I think where it's heading is that you're going to have automated AI agents handling emails, handling WhatsApp messages, handling SMS messages, handling social media messages, handling your call centers, handling your chatbots. Uh, potentially, you might extend that out into different channels as they emerge, like you know, um, voice assistants or whatever. You might even also have some of that stuff happening internally on Slack and Teams and stuff like that, and people sharing stuff like, I need to book a holiday because my kid's sick or whatever. It, they've got this problem or this disease or whatever it might be. And so it's only... The, the the amount of unstructured data that businesses create is only going to grow, isn't it? It absolutely is. That's true. And um, because of AI, we now have this unprecedented opportunity to actually use that data and mine it for information. Uh, whereas previously, it was really the main data that was usable uh, by companies for any sort of reasonable purpose mm. at scale. Yeah, and that's it's ironic because that's one of the parts that companies, I think quite rightly, actually think is part of the value of conversational AI specifically is that you can get to information that you otherwise couldn't have got to before. Um, like there's a really good example I was talking about the other day where the US Army had a chatbot called Sergeant Star and the aim of that was really just to answer questions, that's all it was. But what they realized is that the questions that the chatbot was receiving were entirely different to the questions they had on the website, entirely different to the questions that they had on, uh, that they were getting asked in the actual uh, shops, the, the recruitment kind of offices. Um, and it was all stuff around, am I going to get shot? Am I going to get posted away? Will I ever see my family again? What are the chances of me dying? Will I have to shower with a dude? And all this kind of like stuff that they just could not predict. Um, and so there is, there is, perceived and think quite rightly perceived value in that data but again the, the more you create the more of a need there is to consider where it's going who, where it's stored who's looking after it how long it's stored for all that kind of stuff absolutely and people will accidentally put in their personal and file information because it could be hey i'm jake i'm applying on may 21st and i'm wondering if i'll have to shower with a dude maybe jake <laughs> didn't want people to know that he was asking the question and he just let that slip Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I suppose, I suppose then having private AI in that situation is that you don't have to specify the specific instances where it runs. I'm assuming it just runs on all data that comes through. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, wow, yeah, that is interesting. 
Interesting. Yeah, I can totally see it. I can totally get it. I think that uh, I would definitely recommend people check it out if they haven't already. Where can people go to do that if they want to? Uh, Private-ai.com. And do feel free to message me on either LinkedIn or Twitter. Happy to chat. Cool. Private-ai.com. I will... uh, I'll put that on here so people can see it. And I'll also put it in the uh, show notes. Uh, was private.ai taken? It seems to be very trendy to have a .ai domain name these days, doesn't it? It was taken. Yeah, yes. I could imagine so. And I bet you it's going to cost an absolute fortune to uh, buy it as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately so. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for one the other day. I was looking for, um, I won't say what it is, but I was looking for one the other day and it was going to cost me about 26 grand. And I thought wow. it's not, it's not, it's not, no point in doing that right now. But uh, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's not worth no, I just no. want to put a hyphen in there. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I'm sure Googling private AI will find it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Where could people go? I mean, this stuff is very difficult to kind of wrap your head around. And I know that legislative documentation, all that kind of stuff can be very uh, difficult to get your head around as well. And even difficult to find, to be quite honest. I know a lot <laughs> of organizations have, you know, data offices who are responsible for understanding the legislation, all that kind of stuff. But for those that are maybe is a little bit curious about like, you know, what kind of, uh, what should I be doing aside from implementing private AI to, to make sure that when we do embark on these AI initiatives that we're really considering people's privacy? Do, are you aware of any kind of resources or anything like that that people can... Um, so it depends how much they want to get into the nitty gritty. Uh, but there's some really good webinars from various law firms, including Inc. Law, for example, INQ Law. Uh, we also uh, hold webinars uh, one of which is with Sheila Jambakar, who used to be the previous CEO at Twilio um, and is uh, now at uh, Plaid, I think. Um, and we do have a blog that you can take a look at. Um, but otherwise, if there's anything specific that uh, somebody's looking for, I'm also happy to point them in the right direction. I will uh, just make some notes of those. I will add you. Uh, I'll add your LinkedIn on here. Uh, the private AI blog, private dot, uh, private-ai.com, uh, then the webinars, and I'll look for those Nicolau webinars as well. Thank Wicked. Thank you so much. This has been really good. It's definitely, as I said, it's one of those things where every now and then something comes across that you can see a defined need for, and I can see every single chatbot that is deployed anywhere needing this solution, as well as any call center that takes any calls. Um, so it's a really, really, uh, yeah, well-positioned uh, service so yeah thank you for joining us it's, it's, it's been lovely speaking with you really the time. nice one nice one cool uh, next week we have for those of you tuning in who do we have next week oh yes uh, Monday we're speaking to Andy Kingston of HSBC and we're going to be talking about what HSBC are doing with conversational AI and whether they're using something like private AI <laughs> and uh, on Tuesday we'll be speaking to Corpus Kreling who is ex-product manager for the Toby assistant at Vodacom in South Africa and he is I would describe him as a legend in the conversational AI space and so if you are tuning in please do tune in to uh, the conversation conversation on monday and tuesday next week uh do visit private ai as i've already said do visit deepgram.com as i've already said and if you're not already subscribed to vux world then where have you been all my life we do interviews like this with experts like patricia every single week multiple times a week at vux.world forward slash subscribe you get all the invites and all of the links uh every single week so thank you patricia it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much
Thank you very much, Kim. Cheers. Bye.